This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Jessie Eubanks. Jessie is a certified Enneagram coach and host of the Enneacast, a podcast exploring personality and relationships through the lens of the Enneagram. Jessie's also the founder and executive director of Love Thy Neighborhood, a discipleship and missions agency mobilizing people to follow Jesus and serve the poor in modern culture. Relevant Magazine named him one of the top 50 Christian artists and activists who are making an impact on culture in America. Jesse and his wife, Lindsay, they have two kids and they live in Louisville, Kentucky, And he is also the author of the new book, How We Relate, Understanding God, Yourself, and Others Through the Enneagram. This book demonstrates how the gospel story transforms our personal stories. And through a series of unique and original illustrations, Jesse provides an understanding, allowing readers to unlock the wholeness they long for in their relationship with themselves, others, and God. This conversation I have been thinking about for the past two months since we recorded this episode. Jesse is a one, brilliant human being. Two, he's phenomenal. And three, this conversation was fascinating. Let me tell you right off the bat, I don't know where you land on stuff with the Enneagram. And that's okay if you're in the camp of you're kind of anti-Enneagram. That's cool if you're in the camp of you really like the Enneagram and, and you think it's awesome. I would really encourage you to listen to this conversation with an open mind because I learned some things about myself in this conversation. I have talked to my husband ad nauseum about it uh, since we had it. And it just is a really great conversation for anybody who cares about relationships, whether it is relationships in marriage, relationships with your kids, relationships with your friends, your co-workers, and most importantly, your relationship with the Lord. And I had a couple of kind of light bulb moments in this conversation. It was so good. So without further ado, let's get right into it and on to my conversation with Jesse Eubanks. Jesse, welcome to the show. I am pumped. How are you? I'm good, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I am so excited about this uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, you know, we're kind of refreshing uh, the podcast and and you're one of my earliest uh, new guests. And so it's just always exciting when you're kind of venturing into something new. But here we are also at the beginning of 2023, which is, I don't know, just feels mind boggling to me that we are in 2023. It's it's sort of like, are are we past? Are we past the pandemic? You know, (sighs) is is this the post pandemic world? Are we still in it? You know, is it is it, you know, like the Scooby-Doo character, is it going to take its mask off? We realize it's still around. I don't know. And yeah, I, I was talking with a friend the other day, and I think the answer to that question for sure depends on where you live. Um, but also, we were we were talking about how in January of 2020, we had flown to Kenya. Like we had flown out on New Year's Day. And just that was like when there was the rumblings of this thing called coronavirus was happening in China. It's just like to think about the fact that that was three years ago uh, is is really quite strange. But yeah, so yeah, but three, here three three years ago, but we've all aged 15 years. <laughs> it's really remarkable. All of us, all of us. We are so young and naive at that point. Um, my gosh. Um, but yeah, but I, I just I'm so excited about this and um, heading into the new year. And I, I'm not. Are you a New Year's resolution person? I'm a New Year's resolution to uh, make myself feel better. And then about four <laughs> days in, I realized oh, that was dumb. <laughs> That's about where I usually am. Okay. So I'm not a New Year's resolution person, but I am. I love a New Year's refresh. So I I do love like, all right, here are some things I want to just focus on this year. I love to pick a word of the year. I, I, you know, so it's not necessarily like I'm going to work out five days a week this year or whatever it is. It's more just, all right, it kind of, I love a fresh start. So, um, 
you know, I, I, I love looking at things through that lens. And, um, and so I, I think that I'm not, al- I mean, obviously I'm not alone in that. Obviously there's some, like a whole entire market of books around new year's resolutions and goal setting and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I love to shift that thinking. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on, especially here at the beginning is, um, and we're going to have you give the Jesse 101 in just a second is how we think about ourselves in relation to others, in relation to God, through our personality types, through the Enneagram, and how that tool, when we have a real uh, understanding of that, can help us move forward, you know, set goals properly in a way that are like realistic to who we are as people, who our spouses, who our kids are, you know, who our friends are, what role we play in work or church or whatever we can stop making a, you know, like, I know we're going to get into this, like in the body of Christ, we can stop making a hand be a foot or a nose be an armpit or whatever. Mm-hmm, you know, we can really mm-hmm. begin to identify who people are. So that's the whole, you know, the framework with which we're going into this. But before we get into the nitty gritty, we got to have you give us the Jesse 101. So Jesse, tell us who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today. Oh my gosh. And, and and here's what's tricky. I'm getting old. And so it takes longer to, uh, to say things. Uh, but you're um, not old. You're yeah. not old. <laughs> <laughs> so I am, uh, I'm the founder and executive director of an organization called Love Thy Neighborhood. And we say that we do discipleship and missions for modern times. So we help people, uh, learn how to follow Jesus in modern culture. Uh, we help people serve as urban missionaries. But we also help people build better relationships. And a lot of the work that I do centers around the Enneagram. And uh, I've been working in urban ministry in some capacity essentially since uh, since I was 19. Mm. Um, so a really long time. And I, I spent nine years on staff at a homeless shelter. Uh, you know, I've been leading this organization for almost a decade now. And so a lot of my life revolves around social action, relational health and spiritual formation. Those are kind of the things that I'm committed to. I'm married. I've got an amazing wife named Lindsay, who's an occupational therapist in the school system. And then I've got two killer, awesome teenage kids uh, (laughs) that are wonderful people. Okay. I want to find out how you got into doing all of this, but I feel like for those that may be listening that are like, okay, I have heard this word, the Enneagram, but I don't know what it is. Um, Can you give us a, it doesn't have to be 60 seconds, but that's what I'm going to call it. Your 60 second, what is the Enneagram for? And I don't want to say dummies because nobody's a dummy, but the, um, the, what's the, you know, just like the, the, the basic Enneagram, like explain it to us like we're five. (laughs) Yeah. So imagine it like this. Imagine it that, um, you know, you have this pair of sunglasses that you really love to wear. Every time you go out into the world, you're putting this pair of sunglasses on and like you just love these sunglasses. Like you think they're dope. You you like how they look. You love how they're blocking the sun. Well, your assumption is that everybody else is still seeing the world the way that you are. And the reality is that none of us see the world the same. And the Enneagram is a tool to help people understand the ways that other people uh, perceive the world. And the basic idea of the Enneagram, you know, its origins are like really mysterious. If you want to get into like a good long argument with somebody, start talking about the origins of the Enneagram. Um, <laughs> but uh, but sometime in the last, you know, 75 years or so, it really sort of uh, firmed up and it is a personality typing system. But unlike other systems where they put you into a box, it's like you are these things. So Myers Briggs, I'm a this, 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 this. Um, the Enneagram is dealing with the issue of motivation. So uh, there are nine core desires. Which of those desires is the most important to you, and how has your personality organized itself around that desire? And then it also deals with issues of, are, do you primarily process with emotions, through thoughts, through your body? Um, so the Enneagram, the, the great thing about it is it allows us to be really complicated people, but it's a very user-friendly approach to understanding um, all of that complexity. So yeah, it's, um, it's a great tool for self-awareness. You know, if you think of it even like this, imagine that you, uh, that you decide that you're going to put makeup on. And decide that you're going to do that, though, without uh, using a mirror. So you are you put on your lipstick and your mascara and your eyeliner and you do your hair. And then uh, you just go out into the world. You never once look into the mirror and you're convinced you look awesome. <laughs> you just think you look fantastic. 
the Enneagram is a tool that it works like a mirror. It's going to show back to you the reality. So you might have gotten one aspect of that thing right and uh, another part not so much. So the Enneagram is, is, a, is a tool for self-clarity. I well, I love that distinction in the way that you describe it as a tool. And that is what I think made it so revolutionary for me is when I began to understand it as a tool. And and it's funny, I remember in I want to say third grade, I have a very vivid memory of being in elementary school and doing a Myers-Briggs test, like in class, Mm. I can remember, I can picture like sitting at one of those old desks with the, you know, the little like cubby part underneath. Uh And I can remember like we were in a trailer because our school was overcrowded. And so it was like an early 1990s trailer that was blazing hot in the summer, warm months and just absolutely an icebox during the winter. And I remember taking this Myers-Briggs test and I, but then I remember getting my, you know, whatever the ENFP or whatever, even though I'm now an ISFJ, which, you know, is just interesting. And I, but I remember at the time being like, I don't know what any of this means. Like, how am I supposed to care about this? I'm nine, you know? Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. I was going, that is one psychologically informed trailer elementary school. Yeah, I mean, that is was, a lot going on in there. It was very interesting. And I think back and I just remember being like, that was so weird. But then that was always like the lens that I felt like I was then pigeonholed into for the rest of my life. And then it turns out that's really not who I am at all. But then once I was introduced to the Enneagram and really began to understand it, it opened up to me for me better understanding who I am, what my motivations are, and more importantly, even understanding my husband, who he is, what his motivations are, and all of that. So I have to ask, because I know that you're a certified Enneagram coach, how did you get, how were you first introduced to the Enneagram? How did you become a coach? Why was this something that was really revolutionary for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, I I was on staff uh, at that homeless shelter for nine years. So we would spend every single day trying to share the love of Jesus with, you know, our city's most vulnerable citizens. And these folks were coming in and many of them were coming from really, really dark, tragic, you know, backgrounds and life stories. And we're spending our day talking to them about God loves you. Jesus loves you. We're talking about grace and forgiveness. And we're talking about hope. And in so many ways, we're talking about come have a relationship with God. But the deal is that behind the scenes, the staff actually, we weren't getting along real well. We were bickering. Mm. We didn't really trust each other that much. We were having all of this conflict. Um, And uh, interesting, you know, years later, I came to find out that the number one reason that missionaries leave the field is actually other missionaries. Wow. And that that was my experience in terms of... um, here we are talking to all these people about the love of God, but we don't know how to love each other. And it was in that experience that um, that some guys were brought in to help us. And so this guy named uh, Richard Plass and a guy named Jim Cofield, they lead an organization called Crosspoint Ministry. And those guys brought in the Enneagram and it was freaky the first time that it was presented because it was like someone was crawling around inside of my soul uh, yeah. and revealing things to me in some cases, things that I had not ever talked about with other people. And in other cases, it was, it was things that, uh, that I really didn't want to be true about me, but that they were true nonetheless. And so, um, so that tool, the Enneagram, it was brought in and it really helped, uh, us in our relationships. And then as the years went on, um, very naturally, I was like, I need to go learn more about this. And so I went through Crosspoint's training, got certified as a coach, and then just started digging in, digging into a bunch of research and writing and starting to teach workshops. And we utilize it in our ministry. And um, so, yeah, so all these years later, I'm pretty deep in the rabbit hole at this point. Yeah. And I one of the things that I, I love that you have said in and I don't know if it was in the book I, itself. So, I, well, I guess I should say we didn't even say this is that you have a book that uh, you wrote a book, baby. Congratulations on the birth of your book, baby, um, thank you, called thank you. How We Relate, Understanding God, Yourself and Others Through the Enneagram. And I love how you talk about how if you have the Enneagram and your understanding of the Enneagram, but you don't have Jesus, you don't have the Lord, you only have half the equation. And I would love to just kind of first, before we even dive a little bit deeper, is I want you to dispel some maybe controversy, some myths around 
the Enneagram and how there is definitely a segment of the population that feels like if you are Christian, you're and you use the Enneagram, then you are you're a part of a cult and it's an idol and you're worshiping the Enneagram and yada, yada, yada. So I would be really interested to hear your take on this. I know I have my own opinions, but I'm also not a certified Enneagram coach. And so <laughs> I'm curious on your approach to this and how you answer that question or maybe dispel that myth. Yeah, I mean, I, I would start with this basic operating principle, which is all truth is God's truth. And so if, if something is revealing truth to me, I don't need it to necessarily be explicitly Christian in its origins for it to be useful. So there's plenty of work that's come comes out of psychology that's very useful, plenty of work that comes out of medicine, plenty of work that, you know, even, I don't know, name your field, finances. Uh, so the origin of something does not necessarily 100% dictate that it's it's never going to be usable again. Yeah. I mean, you read the Bible. I mean, what's up with the Magi? I mean, that stuff is is very bizarre and unusual. Yeah. And yet somehow God is at work in the midst of those men's lives in order to bring them to the Messiah. And yeah. so he uses um, astrology. Yes, it's a for very astronomy. Thing. So yeah. <laughs> so in the, and in this scenario, in this scenario. A lot of people can attribute the Enneagram as being this sort of extra spiritual thing. Um, and, and I would say that it definitely can crack the door open on some spiritual questions, but it is not a religion and it's not espousing right. any particular religious belief. It is uh, A.J. Sherrill, uh, who's an Anglican priest, wrote a great book called The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. And in that book, he says the Enneagram is a human tool, not a Christian tool. Yeah. And so really for us as Christians, what we have to decide for those of us that are, that are Christians, we have to decide, OK, this category is neutral. But what I do within this category decides whether it is compatible with my faith or not. Mm. And I think that the Enneagram is the same thing. We can approach it. There are plenty of Enneagram teachers out there. You can Google them. I would disagree with a lot of what they say. It's not compatible uh, with my faith and it's not compatible uh, with my understanding of the Bible. Um, but then there's going to be a lot of a lot of content that's going to be absolutely. In fact, I think ultimately a lot of the content of the Enneagram reaffirms a lot of things that we read in Scripture. Yeah. And, but, and then some people would then ask, well, then why do we even need it? Don't we have the Bible? Isn't the Bible sufficient? Sometimes we need new language to look at something in a fresh way. Hmm. So sometimes it's, it's sort of death by familiarity. There are certain things that we read in the scriptures and we've read it so many times that uh, that it just it's not grabbing us in the exact same way. So sometimes it's helpful to bring in outside tools to get a fresh perspective on the same issues. Yeah. Well, and then, too, I mean, I think I think we do see I mean, certainly the, there's no there's the Enneagram is not in the Bible. Personality types are not in the Bible. But when we read the Bible through the lens of God's creativity, his uniqueness in how he designed each and every person. And we look at the vast different type of people that he used uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see just a wide variety of personalities and a wide variety of issues. And, um, you know, just uh, actually back in October, my husband preached a sermon at our church where he was talking about Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, being a part of Jesus's disciples, and how it's really interesting that in the first or whatever chapter of Matthew, I think it might be Matthew 4, Matthew 6, I'm not sure exactly, um, so forgive me, but it's the, the chapter in Matthew where it just lists all of Jesus's disciples, with the exception of, uh, you have like James, you know, the brother of Zebedee, or son of Zebedee, or whatever, you have the, you have these guys who have maybe who their dad was, or whatever, the only people that have any sort of distinction about who they are, are Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, and how those two people are on the complete opposite of the political ends of the spectrum. It's like, the I think he, the way my husband John uh, related it, he was like, it's like, uh, Simon the Zealot is like the guy who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. And you have yeah. Matthew, the tax collector, who's like a vowed Marxist. And so it's yeah, like totally two absolutely complete opposite ends of the spectrum politically. And yet they both eventually were martyred for the same thing, their love yes. of Christ and the gospel. So how did these two find unity? Um, and so I, I use that as an example of just what we see God very clearly distinguishing between unique individuals and how they relate to each other and how they relate to God. And we see Jesus, how, I mean, yeah, I love how he refers to, you know, 
was it James and John as the sons of thunder. And like, I just like, mm-hmm. like, where did that come from? What, why is mm-hmm. he referring to James and John as the th- sons of thunder and how he relates so, you know, uniquely to women and how it's so personal. His interaction with yeah. people is so personal. And so when we begin to understand this from a biblical perspective, we can better understand how we relate to one another. And that was, I know, one of your whole, you know, visions for why you wrote this book. So mm-hmm. let's kind of break down briefly the nine Enneagram types. And I would be curious I, for you to share yours. I'll share mine. Um, cool. And uh, and how we can begin to understand how we relate to each other through those lenses. Yeah, yeah. So I'll do my best to not uh, get get bogged down in this because really, <laughs> I mean, we can go so, so oh, deep. Oh, yeah, into 100%. Into them. Um, but uh, but let me do this. I'm going to try to do like a, a flyby. Hey, so when, Molly, when we get to yours, tell me, tell All me right. we made it to yours. All okay? right. All right. So um, let's start things off in the heart triad. These folks process the world primarily through their emotions. They're very relational people and they struggle with the issue of shame and they are searching for identity. Those, those are kind of the, the hallmark of these folks. These are types two, three, and four. Types two, uh, That's these me. folks are helpers. That's you. <laughs> That's me. All right. We, we, right, right at the beginning. The nice. Uh, yeah, so type two, uh, the helper. Um, you know, they, they're generous. They're sacrificial. They want to help other people, serve other people. I say that they, like, come out of the womb with scrubs on. You yep. know, they just have this sense of, like, I want to serve the world um, when they're healthy. Now, when they're unhealthy, it turns into sort of needing to be needed. It, they can struggle with issues of kind of getting into sort of codependent dynamics with people where it's there's sort of an insatiable desire to always fill other people's needs. So that's the that's the two. Yep, feel, that's me. Feel fair. Okay. Yep. Type three, the achiever. And that is me. Uh, so type three, the achiever. Um, and these folks, they get a lot of things done. They, they set goals. They go after those goals. Uh, they're communicators. They tend to want to use a lot of their energy to help other people reach their potential. Uh, When they're unhealthy, they have a need to be adored or a need for success, a need to be on the stage. And so their their struggles center around the need to be regarded uh, in a positive light by other people. So that's the achievers. Yeah. Type four. The originalists, these folks, uh, and this is my wing. I'm like a three with a raging four wing. Uh, and if you don't know what wings are, buy the book. Uh, yeah. It'll explain it. Uh, <laughs> I'm a two wing but, uh, three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, four, they are the the originalists. These folks are, um, they're creative types. They're aesthetically oriented. They're emotionally sensitive. Um, they're highly expressive. They're comfortable with uh, with the darkness of life. On the unhealthy side, um, when they're living out of their false self, they are um, they are folks that need to be different. Differentiation becomes the addiction. So what everybody else in the room is into, that is the one thing they cannot be into. They got to mm-hmm. be into something different than that. And the fear there is that they have to have a unique identity or they are no one. Mm. Um, and so uh, they can struggle with moodiness. So you never know what version of them you're going to get. So uh, So that's the heart triad going to roll on over into the head triad. So these are types five, six, and seven. And these folks process the world through their minds, through thinking. Um, they present often as very stable people because they're thinkers and they've, they've anticipated. Um, they're dealing with the issue of fear. And that fear often comes out in the form of anxiety. And they are searching for um, support and security. Um, so fives, uh, we call these folks the investigators. Uh, if you ever listen to like you know, true crime podcasts, you know, or or if any of you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Cosper is a five, uh, Tim Keller is a five. Like, so these these folks are scholarly, they're thinkers, uh, they are researchers, um, they love to acquire lots of information and then pull it together in creative ways. When they're unhealthy, um, they withdraw from people and they sort of switch off their emotions. They become emotionally stingy and relationally withdrawn. And unresponsive. They, they struggle to respond to the needs of other people. Yeah. Sixes. These folks are the loyalists. Uh, so these folks, um, I say that they represent the covenant of God. They are mm. promise people. So um, when they're healthy, 
Um, these folks, reliability is like their secret weapon. Um, they will take a bullet for you and go all the way to the end of the line. Um, if they say yes, they mean yes. Um, and uh, so they're prepared. Um, they're like the original Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts of America. They are just prepared folks. When they're unhealthy, they become um, anxiety-ridden, catastrophic thinkers. Uh, they're they're anticipating danger around every corner to the point that they cannot relax. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so their their minds go a little wild. My wife is a six. So uh, I love you. My I love you, honey. one of my best friends, uh, Abby, is a six, and she's also happens to be my husband's like right hand woman in his business. She works for my mm-hmm. husband, and uh, my husband. We're not there yet. My husband's an eight, and. Uh, she was talking about, she was like, all eights need a six. And I was like, yes, that is a hundred percent true. We'll get to that. But, um, but yeah, she is. And the way you describe, and I love the way you describe that as like represents the covenant of God. And I feel like that is, that is Abby. 100% is like, if she says yes, she is going to do it and do it very well with excellence a hundred percent of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Type sevens. These folks are the enthusiasts, the enthusiasts, and they really represent um, the notion of bringing your inner child into adulthood. Um, And so um, these folks are excited about life. You know, life is full of possibility and it's full of hope and it's full of wonder. And there's so many great things that we should go try out and go do. Uh, They have sort of just this insatiable appetite for adventure and experiences. They're really funny. They're great storytellers. Um, When they are unhealthy, they are the most pain avoidant of any of the types on the Enneagram. So um, whatever is going to be painful, they are they're out of there. They can struggle with being naive at times because they want to keep things lighthearted and jovial and fun, even when doing so requires them to ignore reality. Mm. Um, and so um, so it's sort of the inner child ends up taking over and uh, and holding the adult hostage. Um, and so uh, so that's the seven. Okay, going up into the body triad. So these are folks eight, nine, and one. So type eight, your husband is an eight. So yep. uh, these folks uh, go by many names, uh, but I call them the protector. And um, these folks are strong. They are intense. They need less uh, sleep than any of the other types. Hundred percent. The rest of it. The rest of us run on one ten. They run on two twenty. They yeah. they got a lot more voltage going through them. Yeah. Uh, you feel their presence when they walk in the room. That's that's them when they're healthy. They're great leaders and they inspire a lot of sort of fearlessness and other people. Uh, they're very clear. Now when they're unhealthy they become overly concerned with needing to be in control all the time. Uh, They really struggle to relinquish control to other people and they over identify with how strong they are and how, how fast paced and capable they are. Um, And in the course of that, they lose the real understanding of where they are relationally with other people because they, they have a hard time hearing other people. They're just so convinced. They feel it in their bones that other people are trying to communicate to them. Hey, this is a problem. The A can really struggle to hear that yeah. uh, at times because they're just going hard. Yeah. So uh, type nine, these are the peacemakers, the peacemakers. And these folks, likewise, if you feel the eight when they walk in, you feel the nine too. And what you feel is you just feel yourself go, ah. Like it's just very <laughs> like relaxing. These folks are easygoing. They're not pushy. Um, they have very simple desires a lot of times. They're very pleasant to be around. They're very accepting people, uh, not judgmental. Um, Now, when they are unhealthy, these folks are allergic to conflict. Mm -hmm. So whatever the conflict is, they're out of there. Um, And the, the real struggle for them is not only do they hate conflict, outside of them with other people they also hate conflict inside of them mm. so uh, so these folks the way that they typically cope with that is that they become very vague as people so you ask questions and they go I don't know and the, and the truth is they don't know um, and so they can be a little ethereal kind of hard to hold on to uh, when they're not healthy and finally type ones these are the reformers and these folks are highly ethical very driven they're intense uh, they they are very concerned with bringing practical goodness into the world. So the rest of you all can sit around and argue about philosophy of goodness or ethics. They want to actually do good and bring good into the world. They want to change the world. Um, when they're unhealthy, though, um, the the deal is that they want to uh, they want to be good so bad that they begin to to really kind of crucify themselves. They have an inner critic 
that just pummels them all day long, always telling them they should do more, they ought to do more. We say that they should all over themselves. It's just, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And the result of that eventually is they get so tired of being so hard on themselves is that that pours out into other onto other relationships. And so they end up becoming very preachy and domineering and, uh, and judgmental. Okay, this breakdown of the, the nine types was one of the best breakdowns I have ever heard. And I just love the way that you put it because I feel like every single person listening by the end of this has maybe if they haven't taken a quiz, if they haven't done the thing, like they maybe are like, you know what? I think that that's a little bit of who I am. So the way you so succinctly did that was just like, I feel like I need to give you like a standing ovation. We just, just like, oh. We're just going to add some like applause uh, in here. I'll take it. I'll <laughs> throw, take it. Yeah. yeah, you're the three. So you'll take you'll take it. We'll throw I'll some flowers it, yeah. on the stage. It'll be great. Let's go back now that we have that framework of who these who these different types are. And back to what I said at the beginning, where you talked about how if you have the Enneagram, but you don't have the Lord you're missing half the equation. And so talk to us about how you began to understand this as a whole is that this really is a way that we can begin to understand how we relate to others and how we relate to God, which I just think is such a unique perspective on this. Yeah. You know, here's the deal. When I first started learning about the Enneagram, I learned from the guys that I mentioned before, Richard Plass, Jim Cofield, and they would talk a lot about this idea of how we relate is how we relate. And in my research, I eventually realized that they were actually pulling ideas from Richard Rohr, who's a Catholic priest. And he's got this really wonderful explanation that talks about, listen, all throughout the Bible, um, we are told that the way that we relate to God ultimately reveals the way we relate to other people. And the way we relate to other people ultimately reveals the way that we relate to God. And he goes on to say the whole Bible is a school of relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that uh, that out of that, I became very curious about, you know, there's was, there was a lot of Enneagram teaching going on within the Christian world. Um, and on the Protestant side, there, were, there was some, but eventually I kind of, I ended up, ended up stumbling over into the Catholic side of writing. And there was tons of really wonderful writing that was taking place in particular about Jesus himself as it relates to the Enneagram. And so I began to think about that. And eventually, I don't know, I just, um, I think the thing that really struck me was this, this idea that the Enneagram is a wonderful tool, but it cannot love me into wholeness. Ooh. Like like I'm I'm broken. I feel shame. I feel anxiety. I feel guilt. In what way? The Enneagram is, it's a thing and it's not going to be able to fix those things. Like, you know, it's, it'd be like me going to the hospital and thinking like the MRI machine is somehow going to, you know, help me lose weight. It's like, that's just not how it works. And so I think that um, in the course of, of my writing, I really began to think a lot about, okay, Jesus, if you are the one that's going to transform me, in what ways can I invite you in with specificity? to who I am as a person in the course of that, that that's when I started stumbling into this idea of like, what is the role of empathy? You know, how does Jesus empathize with us? And, uh, you know, I talk about this in the book, but, uh, I talk a little bit about, um, empathy plus authority equals trust. And, um, probably the, the best way to describe that is when we come to somebody with a problem, a deep problem, I need to believe that you empathize with the pain that I'm experiencing then I need to believe that you have shown your ability to get out of this situation or to go forward in life. Probably the the easiest way to understand this would be to think of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And that when when somebody comes in and they're like, I'm trying to get sober, the first thing they do, they learn to tell their story and you have other alcoholics that go, I understand I've been there. And then you have somebody else that chooses to, to sponsor them. And that person's role is, I've been where you are. Here's how you get out of that. Here's how you go forward. Well, the question then is, how does Jesus meet us in that sort of way within each of our personality types? And the reason that that matters is that each of us in various ways, we are held hostage by our personality. Each of us have fixations. We have a way of seeing um, that is almost like we're entranced. We can't stop believing 
that our value comes from performance or that our value comes from being needed or that our value comes from uh, finding the most original personality. Whatever it is that we're looking for, it's um, there's a sense in which it's a great lie. And so how in the world is Jesus going to meet us? Um, well, I need him to empathize with my pain. I need him to show me a way out. And part of that is going to be to affirm me, but he's also got to confront me. He's got he's to reveal the truth to me. And then he's got to bring some healing. Man, I love that equation of Jesus's uh, empathy plus his authority equals our trust in him. And and I'd never considered because uh, that was actually one of the things I'd written down and highlighted in the book when I was reading it um, was I, I really loved that picture. And I but I had ne- I not until you said it just now considered that that's how we are in our relationships with one another and how we trust one another. And um, I'm actually the daughter of two recovering alcoholics. And so I was surrounded by people in AA my entire life. And so um, I would very much attest to that. And I, um, but it's, it's interesting having walked, I wouldn't say walk alongside that's, that's incorrect. Um, Walked in proximity because of who, uh, you know, who I was the child of two people getting sober, getting clean over the years. It kind of I would say that there are people, the people who were successful that got sober and stayed sober were, yes, the people who got in the program. And and I have a point to all this. <laughs> they got in the program. They told their story. They got a sponsor who told their story and said, I've been here where you are. Here's how you get out of it again. But then they also had a third component, which was understanding they needed the help and yeah, understanding sure. I want to actually get the help. Whereas the other group of people, the people who fell off the bandwagon a hundred times or the people that eventually ended up dead. (laughs) I mean, if I'm just going to say it point blank, um, are the people who maybe had that first part, but did not have that last part of they could not make the decision themselves that they, by admitting they actually needed the help. And the reason I say all of that is because I feel like when we were talking or when you were talking about when each personality type is coming from an unhealthy place, it's that place of realizing I don't need help or I can do this all on my own. It's this, it's this not acknowledging that we can't, that we are incomplete without help and that we were not created to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We were not created to do all of this alone. And it's, we have to acknowledge our need for God and our need for one another in order to be completely whole. And I love the way you said that, like you cannot, the Enneagram cannot love you into, into wholeness. (laughs) Um, and as you were talking, that was just exactly like how I, I began to think about it is, is what that, what that looks like on a, on a practical level. Um, Man, that's just oh, so good. That's so so good. Anyway, is there anything there you want to respond to? <laughs> I mean, I, I love so much of what you're saying. You know, my 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 wife grew up as an Al-Anon kid, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know that's that's part of our our life story as a family. And um, uh, you know, we just celebrated her dad's been sober for 22 years, which that's is awesome. a miracle. And but you know, I worked at a shelter for nine years. You know, yeah. and what you're describing, I saw it over and over and over, over and again. Over. The guys, the guys that went on to do well in life at some level found at least one or two people that they learned how to do relationships with and that those people help them begin to explore why do you need to do these things? What's driving you and compelling you to try to fix the problems of your life through these means? And while for, you know, a lot of folks listening, they may be like, well, I don't, I don't have a drinking problem. Yeah, but you got another kind of problem. Like, right. you know, so so all of us in some way are addicted to our way of being. And part of what uh, Jesus does, I love, um, there's this great book called uh, The Parables in the, uh, yeah, Parables in the Enneagram by Clarence Thomas. I think it's Thomas Thompson. Um, but he says that um, that Jesus's parables are trance-breaking interventions. And that when Jesus comes to us, that there are certain parables that each of us need to hear. And it's for the purpose of trying to break us out of our addictive way of, of being and relating to the world. Mm. Um, and so, so all I have to say is that um, none of us will ever find what it takes to really truly look down in the depths of who we are to see both the glory and the utter corruption um, unless we believe 
that we will be fully loved and accepted no matter what we find there. And that that's going to require us to really trust Jesus at a deep level. Yeah. And I also really love how you talked about how the Bible is the whole Bible is a school of relationships and how we look at that from, um, you know, in a, in a holistic way. I mean, I, we can go all the way back, you know, to Genesis when God says it's not good for a man to be alone as he put us in relationship. Yes, Adam was in relationship with God, but God knew that that can't be the end all be all like he needed like it was not good for Adam to be alone. And so he created relationships. And so yes, there are times where we need to be alone and we need to be in relationship with God alone, but we also cannot stay that way. And I feel like uh, we could go down a whole rabbit hole and end up in a whole nother podcast episode, which we won't. But I mean, I think that's one of the things that we saw reality over the last couple of years with the pandemic is so many of us then became isolated and fell out of relationships with one another and the toll that it took on the mental health. I mean, it's just, I'll be fascinated to see what the long-term consequences of that are is that, that, that isolation piece. Um, because we were not, we were not created for that. We were not created to live that way. And then also take closed churches and it just, (laughs) it just makes it that much worse. Um, so it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just powerful. Yeah. And it is, it is fascinating because a lot of times, even when we tell the story of like, well, um, you know, God said it's not good for man to be alone. So he uh, created Eve so that at least there's community. And, and yes, at one level we can talk about, you know, marriage, but we're really talking about this broader concept of community. And, and so sometimes folks will look at it and go, yeah, but it was really because of, you know, Adam's weakness. Well, fast forward to the New Testament then. Jesus was not alone. Right. Jesus, Jesus, who was fully man, fully God, uh, was without sin. And even he needed friends. Right. He needed community. He needed people around him. Um, and so when we recognize our need for relationship, we're not, we're not doing so from a place of, oh gosh, broken me, I need friends. No, no, you're going with the heart of God. Yeah. You're going with your actual design. You are designed for relationships. And uh, when you when you pursue relationships and invest in relationships, that's what gives your life meaning. Um, all of life is about relationships. Uh, if you ask me, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is relationships. Mm, mm. And I and And then you can go all the way back and just bring it full circle back to that. And then at the crux of those relationships is love and trust. And the way you get love and trust is empathy and authority. And uh, and then again, you're acting out God's design for how he relates to us. Um, man, that is so, so good. So when we are looking at these things and we begin to further understand who we are and how we relate to others... I'm curious, like, what does this look like? Because, for example, and and, and the reason I, I, I say all this, because, like, I, I pretty much am, I know that I'm a two, I'm a two wing three. I know what I look like when I'm healthy. I feel like I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty self-aware to know how to operate from a healthy perspective. I know when I'm beginning to slip into unhealthy patterns. Um, my husband, like I said, is an, is an eight. Um, I've always joked that he is an eight wing eight, that he's just, just an eight. Although your book is the very first time that I've ever been like, you know what? He, I think he's an eight wing nine. I think he's an eight wing Mm. nine, but I've never thought of him as a peacemaker, but he has some of those, uh, kind of just very stable kind of, he doesn't get like real worked up unless he's watching a Carolina game. Um, so if he's watching a Carolina game, that is when I really see my husband worked up. But other than that, All, all bets, all bets are off. Sorry, everyone. All bets are off. But, you know, we talk a lot about how uh, the two of us, we balance each other out very well because him being an eight wing eight, he struggles to empathize and he struggles to uh, see to want to jump. I mean, although he's a very generous person, but that's just not like his he doesn't go into the like caretaker mode the way that I do. But then I often as a two am less to assert authority and to be confident and like things like that. And and so he's always like, no, 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 this is what you got to do. You know what I mean? Like, he, so we, we balance each other out really well. So I understand how he and I relate to each other very, very well. I understand how I relate to my friends very, very well. But it wasn't until I cracked this book open where I began to uncover 
okay, well then how do I relate to God as a two? How, how do I relate to God as a two? And this was something that you, and I still don't fully understand this. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about this, but, um, the one thing that began to open up my understanding of this is in the last chapter of the book, kind of in your conclusion, a new way to relate. Um, I'm just going to actually read part of this. I hope that's okay. And then feel free to take it from here is talking about no one who encounters Jesus ever stays the same. I'm not referring to a Jesus you create or that you project your desires onto. That isn't Jesus. It's just your type dressed up as God. That Jesus doesn't contradict you or challenge you or help you. If you're going to experience true transformation, you must encounter the real Jesus. In Jesus, we find more than our one-dimensional type. We find the most dynamic man who ever lived. Jesus is the true reformer, the true helper, the true achiever, the true originalist, the true investigator, the true loyalist, the true enthusiast, the true protector, the true peacemaker. And I was just, that was so illuminating to me of being like, oh, Jesus is the fully God, fully man, human manifestation of all the different personality types. And yes, he's so much more than that. I don't want anybody to think I'm like generalizing here, but, but to see that because he is, we can see his manifestation and all of those things that he empathizes with us. He exists, he exerts his authority and therefore we trust him. So yeah, as I'm beginning to undercover this, like how do I, or how do you, you can kind of, you know, maybe take, go either way on this is how, how do you begin to understand how you relate to God based on, you know, understanding who you are as a human being uniquely created? Yeah. So I think I think there's a few things here. Um, so we are wrapping up. On, you know, I, I host a podcast called the Enneacast, and we explore the Enneagram from a gospel perspective. And we are almost done with our um, "How Does My Type Relate to God" series. And well, now I'm going to go back and binge the whole thing. Just FYI. <laughs> well, we're, one of the things we're exploring in it is like. You know, a lot of us come to faith with this idea that, like, if I just have the right theology, it's sort of just it's it's um, it's empirical truth. It's just it is what it is. And we fail to recognize that in the same way that each of us has these chief desires in life, you know, and these personalities like we bend our personality around the things we want. Well, we bend our theology to mm-hmm. serve our personality also. Right. And so in what ways am I seeing God incorrectly because of the lens by which I see the world? And in what ways is God in his mercy confronting that aspect and inviting me into something that's way bigger? Because you know, you look at the you look at the Bible, let's just say the gospels. You look at the gospels and there are all these scenes and these moments where you read it and we get Jesus. We're like, I I understand why he's reacting that way. I kind of see, maybe even see a little bit of myself in him. And then literally verses later, you know, you go, what the heck? Yeah. Like, how is that? And and I think it is truly because Jesus is such the embodiment of all nine types that he's unpredictable mm. in the ways that we are predictable. We have a truncated life and he has the abundant life. Mm. And so there's a sense in which he's able to experience and express the fullness of life in ways that the rest of us struggle to. So I think in this question of, you know, you know, you were talking about, you kind of have a sense of how you relate to your husband. You have a sense of how you, you know, relate to your friends. Um, I think in the same way, you definitely bring that same rela- relational style to God. And so um, I'll, I'll let me use myself as an example. If I believe that it is necessary in order for me to have the affections and respect of the people around me that I need to do a lot of things or produce a lot of things or get results on things, and that if I don't, people will not be that impressed and won't be that adoring of me. And therefore, I will feel shame. And therefore, I will feel abandoned or embarrassment. Well, you can bet I'm bringing that stuff to God. Mm. God, as long as I'm doing stuff for you, as long as I'm out there getting things done, as long as I'm building, as long as I'm, as long as I'm, as long as I'm, then I know that you still love me. But if I stop all these things, would you still love me? Mm. Is that possible? And I think that that is exactly what Jesus wants for us. He wants to break us out of our addictions and he wants us to believe um, that uh, that his love for us is is so much greater 
than our dog and pony show attempts to get it. Well, yeah, I uh, as you're talking about that, I'm sitting here like basically psychoanalyzing myself and I'm like, hmm, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I do is I. Well, so I mean, I, you know, for perspective, I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't grow up in the church. Um, That was another thing is your explanation of like how our childhood affects our Enneagram uh, was mind blowing to me because I grew up in a home where my mom got sick at a really early age. And so I had to fill somewhat of a caretaker role very early on. And, uh, you know, she was chronically ill for eight years of my life before she died. And so that uh, very much explains like where some of those tendencies and then also I mean, I, I, she was a nurse, she served in Vietnam, like that was very much like I wanted to be her. And so now like having seen that I'm like, Oh, yeah, yeah, that all tracks. All of that tracks very much. Um, But you know, so I became a Christian at the age of 25. I'm 37 now. And I definitely have found myself Whereas like I came to, to faith at, at a rock bottom point in life, where I, I was brought to my knees where I had no other choice, it was either die. <laughs> I mean, really, it was like I, I was considering suicide, to be totally honest. And but then I just heard that still small voice of, of the Lord that said, um, I'm here. And <laughs> what's up? Um, <laughs> that's that's the, the very high well, level. Can I, can I ask, yeah. let me ask this. If you could distill the message that you first heard from God, like the one that really punctured your heart, what, what, would, what would it be? Stop trying so hard. Mm. Stop striving. Um, stop yeah. trying to, I mean, really, that was that was it. I mean, it was this moment of where I had been carrying some some stuff in my life that was I was carrying a lot of shame. I was carrying a lot of guilt. I was carrying a lot of guilt and shame, thinking that my mom was like up in heaven looking down on me, disappointed in choices I'd made and that I hadn't, you know, somehow operated from a place of selflessness and all those things um, that, you know, in Enneagram 2, I was operating from a place of just being very unhealthy for a really long time. And and I I, I got to a point where I, like I said, I, I'd considered suicide and was at a really, really low point in my life. And for the first time I was ever really presented with what the gospel actually is. Um, it was the first time I'd ever really heard it and understood it. And I sat on the curb outside of my office and had a for real come to Jesus moment where I just heard that still small voice of the Lord being like, I need you to just understand that I'm here and I love you and I forgive you. And you can stop trying to like white knuckle all this crap that you're carrying. Um, yeah, God says crap in my in my head. And so I'm really sorry for the people that I just probably made mad. Um, but I just I really and that was the first time that I slowly began to just release all of that guilt and shame and, and things that I'd been carrying about the decisions I'd made. Um, and it was certainly a very slow process. And here I am, you know, 12 years later, and and my life has completely changed and my life looks totally different. And I am a absolutely night and day different person than who I was 12 years ago. Um, but I realize that there are times where I can, I'm even in my prayer time, nobody hears my prayers, but God, and I'm almost praying in a way like, God, is this how you want me to pray? Is this what the mm-hmm. things is this? Am I, if I pray for myself, that's selfish. I shouldn't be praying for myself. I should be praying for the other people who need prayer and their prayers are more important than mine. And absolutely, as you were saying that and explaining, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I do uh, is I feel like I have to earn God's love by praying prayers for other people and not praying for myself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this is um welcome to therapy session is essentially what this just turned into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. But we and, and the thing is that like we we all do that at, at some level, you know. Yeah. Like, um and uh you know, I think about like people I know that are, you know, Enneagram sevens, you know, and like they when there's the big worship service with the big band and the, you know, all the awesome joyful songs and it's they're they love it. And then the moment that it's not as big, not as exciting, or that it's a little darker, you know, an, an unaware seven is like, this, this sucks. I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, and, in, and so there's a sense in which 
we just we bend our ideas about God to suit us mm. instead of letting let God be who He is, you know. Yeah. And um, I think the other thing too, you know, I was thinking about this um, as you were talking um, in the book. I talk about you know the three underlying emotions that we deal with as people are fear, guilt, and shame, and that those are the original struggles of our great grandparents, Adam and Eve. Uh, that's that that's the first stuff we see show up in the garden. Yeah, you know, they cover themselves because they're ashamed. Um, they hide because they're scared. They blame each other, you know, because of their guilt. And so we're left with this question of like, what do we do with the fact that I feel those things on a regular basis? And in different Christian traditions are different about this, but in the world that I come from, there's a lot of emphasis and understandably so. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing this, but there's a lot of emphasis on our guilt before God and our need for grace and our need for forgiveness. And that is absolutely true. It is like, I am not taking any with anything away from that, but for whatever reason, we don't tend to go on to the other two, which is um, if we're if we're struggling with fear and anxiety, we need to know all the time. God is present with me. He is here with me. Mm -hmm. He is tending to me. He knows my needs. He is going to give me everything that I need uh, in the moment that I need it exactly as much as I need it. Um, but then the other one, and this is fascinating because even as you talked about sort of your moment of of coming to faith and uh, it's this issue of delight. Mm. You know, so many of us come to faith because we have this mind-blowing epiphany that God loves us, that he has affection for us, that he delights in us, yeah. that he sings over us and rejoices over us. And then as the years go on, for whatever mysterious reason, we shift away from that and we start kind of going more into sort of a, a legal approach to things. And uh, and that just that is not what my shame needs. My shame needs to know that my daddy loves me, that mm -hmm. he is thrilled with me and that he celebrates me even with all of my stupid, ridiculous brokenness. Mm. Man, Jesse, this is so good. This is so good. This is, I don't know if anybody listening, if this is ministering to you the way it's ministered to me is I feel like I've just had like 16 epiphanies throughout this, uh, the last hour, 45 minutes or however long we've been talking. Oh, this is so good. Um, well, clearly we're going to need to do uh, a whole nother uh, podcast diving even deeper into this at another point. Um, but we're, we are starting to run out of time. But before we go, what is your prayer, your hope, your goal that readers take away from this book? Like, what do you, at the end of the day, what do you hope that they are are walking away with? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that when I started to write this book, you know, there was obviously the option just to write just like another Enneagram book. Right. And at the end of the day, I really, really just want people to know how much Jesus is reaching for you. Mm. Like he he is for you. He is with you. And I I really want folks to know you know, we we use the word the gospel, and a lot of times we we mean it in sort of like a bumper sticker big way. Yeah. Um, that's like very non-specific, like one size fits all. And like I really want people to experience the beauty and the goodness of Jesus for them, for you. Like if you so were listening good. to this, you know, how does Jesus love you? And ultimately that the invitation would be into life-giving relationships because it, it is true. I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we go, how in the world did the early Christians suffer as much as they did and yet had so much joy mm -hmm. because their relationships were so beautiful? Yeah. Um, and, and if there's some way for us to tap back into that, I think that that's what God wants for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think we see that with Paul so much is how much he suffered and yet the joy that he talks about when he talks about the joy of the Lord, but also the joy of those around him and those that uh, have supported his ministry and his friends and the people that he, you know, wanted to to go to see and, and how people were so key in his ministry and in his, in his life all the way to the end. Um, yeah. So good. Jesse, this has been just wonderful. Um, thank you for your work. Well, before we go, this is the part of the show where we ask our final questions. Um, so Jesse, question number one is what is the last thing that made you laugh? Oh my gosh. Uh, so um, I 
you know, this is funny. My three is showing. So I host a, another podcast, not the Enneacast. I host another one called the Love That Neighborhood Podcast. And we were doing an edit the other day, which is where everybody gets together. We all are, you know, roundtabling. The topic that we were doing was dating, uh, where the gospel meets dating. And we were telling the story. So our show is sort of like if you baptize NPR. We're telling the story of this guy who was a uh, warning. He was a male stripper and he came to faith and he was trying to learn how to date in the church. So uh, we then turn the corner and we're trying to describe sort of different Christian movements, blah, blah, blah. All that to say is that at one point we say uh, a guy's name, like John Winger or something. <laughs> My coworker did not hear Winger. Uh, she definitely heard Wanger <laughs> in the midst of talking about all the things we were just talking about. But she was trying so hard to not let anybody notice that she had so but I've worked with her for a decade. I know her face and I I laughed so hard I thought I was going to puke. Like I had to leave the meeting. Uh and and they had to stop the edit. I mean it was just it was a mess and uh it was it was fantastic. I love it. I love it. And I love when you are surrounded with people who just have a great sense of humor and are willing to just like, hey, it's it's fine. It's funny. So I have a background in improv comedy. Um, I was an improv comedian for uh, many, 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 many years, over a decade before I came to faith and a little bit after I came to faith. But so that's kind of I have skills trained in that. And so there's this idea of just like finding the funny and finding the, the the gift in the moment and yes, anding that and agreeing with that. And so when you just if somebody accidentally mispronounce pronounces a name, you go with it. That's what it is. Oh, it was it was fantastic. So great. She just very quietly. She just goes, what what was his name? <laughs> like and I just knew like <laughs> I knew. Oh, yeah, she she definitely heard a phallic reference. Uh... Uh, Oh my gosh. It was hysterical. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Jesse, what was the last thing that made you cry? Gosh, the last thing that made me cry. Um, I mean, I've had a few things lately, you know, uh, have tough conversations with my wife, you know, uh, th this week, you know, probably the thing this week was, you know, we were talking a little bit about the pandemic. Um, and it's definitely had an, an impact on one of my kids in particular. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of my kids is, you know, they're in middle school and, Middle school is hard as it is. It's hard as it is. And they looked at me this week as I was putting them in bed and they just said, they just said, I'm lonely, mm -hmm. you know, and and they just said, uh, they said, I'm lonely. I just miss people, you know, and it's not like we're not social, but it's yeah. their, their social structure has just kind of shifted since COVID and we're still trying to kind of put it back together. Yeah. And, um, and so seeing, seeing my kid, you know, tear up about being lonely, you know, that as yeah. a dad, that's pretty, mm. that's pretty devastating. Man, man. Yeah. Being a parent is, uh, oh, it is not for the faint of heart. And I've had many, yeah. a really difficult conversation with my kids in the last couple of years and really in the last yeah. uh, 48 hours. So I get it. I'm, yeah. I'm there with you, man. Mm. Well, the last question is in those good times, in those bad times, how do you personally, how do you choose joy? I'm not consistent with this, but I really try to be intentional verbally with what I'm thankful for. I really try to practice gratitude because I can be grumbly and I can kind of be preoccupied and all that. And so I think, uh, yeah, I, in the midst of good times and hard times, you know, the ability to go out loud, I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for this. But then also, even in those moments when I'm by myself, you know, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. And try to be specific. I try to that's what I try to do. Um, and in the midst, when I can do that, when I can do that practice, I do inevitably find sort of levity come back to life and sort of just a sense of, you know, life can be really, really hard and really broken, but man, it can be beautiful and good. Mm, so good. Jesse, thank you for this conversation. This was just so life-giving and we laughed. We got serious. We psychoanalyzed me a little bit and had a therapy session. And so that's how you know it was a good episode. Um, for the listeners, I will have all of Jesse's information in the show notes. Please go buy this book, How We Relate, Understanding God, Yourself, and Others Through the Enneagram. Jesse, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Molly. 
Okay. I know that Jesse and I basically had an entire therapy session during that conversation. I loved it so much. I would love to know what you loved about this particular episode or if there was something that you learned or maybe an interesting revelation that you had. Please let us know. You can find me on social media. I'm at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook as well. And I would just love for you to share. And would you take a moment and share this show with a friend? If you'd screenshot the show or take a picture of yourself listening to the show and share it on social media, that is totally free for you to do. And it also means a lot and it helps us to grow the show. And I would just really love to hear what you're loving. And and especially as we are entering this new season of this podcast, I'm so, so, so excited. Also, would you take a moment to head on over to whatever podcast platform you're listening to and click the subscribe or follow button. And if you have even an extra second, could you leave a review? Leaving a review helps us to know what you like about the show and it helps the show to get in front of new eyes and new ears. And it just really helps us out. As always, I want to say a huge thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for making all this happen. And for you, the listener, thanks for listening. And I hope that you have a great week and I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry.